wrapping up our series on worship. I've learned a lot in this series. I think sometimes we can go to church our whole lives and we can hear a lot about praise and we can hear a lot about worship, but it's interesting that some of the things that we do, we might not realize the deep biblical foundation that, that exists. And so I've really enjoyed hearing, um, hearing about it. So we've covered a lot of different things. We've covered what worship is. We've covered why we worship, the different words and actions that we can use to worship God. That one was very interesting. We can uh, distinguish between praise and worship, which they aren't the same thing. And we recognize that the way we worship can lead to us showing God that we love him. And also a breakthrough is available to us when we worship. So we've, we've covered a lot of things. And so today we're going to talk, talk about this topic. And this topic is worship leads to the miraculous. Somebody look at a neighbor. Touch your neighbor. Say miraculous. So miraculous by definition means that it occurs through divine or supernatural intervention. Highly probable and extraordinary circumstances that bring about a welcome consequence. So our worship actually leads to a supernatural experience from God. We kind of know that, right? That's why we do it. We can feel the presence of God. But there's a biblical example of our worship, of the worship of God's people actually leading to a supernatural experience. So if you have your Bibles and you will turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verses 13 through 14, we are going to pick up at the completion of the building of the temple. So Solomon's temple is complete. It's called Solomon's temple, but it's really the temple of God, and it was really for all the people of God. And it's just been finished. And now we're going to break the apple cider bottle over it and welcome it into, into the world. So we're getting ready to enter into the temple for the first time, and this is what happens. It says, it says, it came to pass as the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, for he is good and his mercy endureth forever, that then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. Hey Amen. Look at this. So this right here was the first Pentecostal shout down right there. And so what happens is, is the temple is built, and they're getting ready to get it started. And there was a couple key things in that scripture that we can jump out and look at. First, they came together, and it says as one, which basically means they were unified in worshiping God in the temple. Unity is an amazing thing, and it's kind of hard to worship when you're not feeling good about your neighbor, right? So you can see right off the bat that unity comes together, and then they come in with an expectancy, and they start to worship and praise God. So their worship led to the, to the Spirit of the Lord actually coming down like a cloud and just filling the entire house. The preacher couldn't even preach. It's like those old-school Sunday nights. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about. The old-school Sunday nights choir starts singing and they just keep singing the bridge over and over and over and then the organ kind of hits the A flat key and everybody's like you know what let's just wrap this up I'll start running preacher didn't even get to preach it was a shout down altar spill up <laughs> and I'm sure that the priest had a really good message but God intervened in advance because of their worship and so the temple in and of itself just getting built was an act of worship to God because there's a lot of ways that we can worship God we've learned that the tradesmen actually came and they worked on this temple for years. People donated their time to get the temple built. Families gave gold and silver. Sacrifices were filled by everybody in the region, meaning 
it wasn't just people hanging out in their tents or whatever they lived in, their stone structures. And then they looked up and they're like, once that temple's done, you know, I'm going to cruise up and see what it's all about. No, for a long time, that entire region was sacrificing for that structure to be built. And so as they're sacrificing, as they're giving, as they're going up and working on their days off in the temple, anticipation is building. Because as they're working on it, they're like, you know what? God's going to meet us in this structure right here. It's not so much about the structure. They were anticipating the interaction with God. And so when it comes time for those doors to be opened, all of those years of work, all of that effort, all of the things that they have done, it just culminates in the anticipation and the worship just right off the bat, God, God intervening. And Psalms 22.3 tells us something about God. It says that God inhabits the praises of his people, meaning we could have really good intentions and live a really good life and read our Bible and we can do all those things, but God really comes in and interacts with us when we worship and when we praise. And that's something we can't take for granted, even if we're like, well, Look, we've been hearing about worship for seven weeks. I get it. No, that's not it. God is literally invited by our worship and by our praise services. And so when we do that and when we, the anticipation, when we come into his house with thanksgiving and we're lifting our hands, he sees and he's like, that is what I've been waiting for. That, that's what I want. And so he comes in and he inhabits those praises. So it's interesting because we read about the temple and we read about the building of it. If you, if you want to know more of the details, Chronicles will let you in on the building of the temple. I'll tell you all about it. Some painstaking details sometimes. And so you can see humanity was looking forward to their interaction with God. But what we see, and what's not necessarily written in the scriptures is until this verse, is we see that God himself was actually anticipating this meeting probably more than the people actually were. Because as soon as they start praising you see God just jump right in. He's like, you know what? I can't even wait until we get through the altar of sacrifice and all of that. Let's just right off the bat with worship. I can't wait to intervene with my people. And you know what? We can sometimes see God's traits in humanity. We can. The Bible says we're made in the image of God, meaning we're not going to get up there and see the face of God and have him look just completely foreign to us. We're made in the image of God. And so... All I can think of is the parent-to-child reference. Uh, I have a kid. I have two kids. But one of them kind of looks like me. Payson kind of looks like me. Jackson kind of looks like his mom. And uh, every once in a while, somebody will come up and be like, oh, my goodness, your daughter looks just like you. And I'm like, yeah. And, you know, on one hand, I'm proud. And then on the other hand, I'm like, well, she's much prettier than I am. <laughs> Thank God. Uh but it, it's kind of this weird thing where they're like the image of me in a way, good and bad. And so when we think about the mysteries of God, and you think about, and there are mysteries of God, it's not all a great mystery. In fact, I believe that humanity being the very creation of God, we show some of God's tendencies in the way that we approach things, in the way that we respond to things, and in the way that we interact with situations. And I'll give you a Bible verse for it so you don't think I'm crazy. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 tells us, because that which may be known of God, may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him, the things we can't see, from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. I mean, you can look around at humanity today and you can see some of God's nature and some of God's tendencies. 
unfortunately it has been contaminated with sin, but there's still some glimpses in there that we can look at. So one of my favorite things to look at here is the common thread across all of humanity. We all love to root or to cheer for something. We do. And it's not just us in America. Some of the largest soccer stadiums in the world are overseas. It's just, it's everywhere. And so our, our desire to root or to cheer or to praise, could, it can manifest in a political party. Uh, it can manifest like with movies and fictional stories. Yeah, there's like a whole community of people who like argue between Star Walk with me. Between Star Trek and Star Wars. I, I can't even really give you what that line is, but they're like passionate about it and they want their particular genre to win out. But most often, where you see the praise and the excitement of people, where you most often see it is in sports complexes, right? And that is something I understand a lot better than Star Trek and Star Wars. So we're going to go with that. And so here in Kansas City, we are blessed with sports teams in Kansas City. We got the Chiefs, we got the Royals. Eh. 2015, am I right? Yeah. We got, uh, we got KU basketball. I'm going to be real specific on that sport. We got all of Mizzou sports. They're pretty solid in all of them. And we got Sporting KC, which apparently they're really good. I don't know anything about soccer, but they're really good. And so before you think I'm going to go down the path of if you can cheer for the Chiefs, you can cheer for Jesus, I'm not. I'm not going to do it. We're not going there. But rather, I just want to focus on the actual athletes that play in these stadiums for a second. So in sports, there is a phenomenon that is referred to as the home field advantage. Anybody ever hear of the home field advantage? It's a real thing. Football, basketball, hockey, soccer, whatever it is, doesn't matter. The team who plays at home has a distinct advantage over the team who's traveling in to play in the stadium. You can see the ones from Kansas City up here. But here's some, here's some National Football League statistics for you. The home team is 60% more likely to win versus the, versus the road team. doesn't even matter. Skill, anything at all. That's just broad statistics across that league. However, the numbers are even higher for teams that have a, and I quote, unique and distinct home field advantage. So, for example, Brother Jim, this one's for you. The New England Patriots win 85% of their home games because of their unique and distinct advantage. Also, for my Wisconsin friends, the Green Bay Packers are second. They win 75% of their home games because of their unique and distinct advantage. So that means that visiting teams coming into these particular stadiums only have, statistically, a 15 to 25% chance to win. That's, those, are, those are really bad odds. When you're, <laughs> when you're traveling and you're coming into one of these stadiums and you're just like, there's literally, I think, there's just a very slim chance that I am going to have a shot to win this game. And then the psychological effect of the home field advantage kicks in. Regardless of what field they play on, the rules don't change. The field or the court has to meet league standards. Theoretically, the best team should win every single time. Theoretically. However, the crowd coming into the home stadium, and you can see, I think Arrowhead, it's like almost like 70,000 people. The crowd coming into their home stadium, bringing noise, and anticipating a win gives a measurable but unexplainable boost to the players on the field. It, it just People are heroes out of nowhere. Average, talented people all of a sudden are willing to just do everything they can to try to get a win. Sports psychologists have studied the home field advantage for years, and this is the only thing they can think about it. Athletes believe they play better at home 
due to the support of the audience, and therefore they expect to, per- expect to win and perform their best. And it gives a psychological boost that prompts athletes to give more effort and push themselves harder than they typically would. Belief is a really powerful thing. It really is. Which is interesting because when you jump back to the Bible, you see Jesus consistently telling people, hey, if you believe, it's possible. If you have faith, it's possible. Is it possible? (laughs) It's possible that God himself is moved by our anticipation, by our belief. If humanity is moved by the belief of another human, imagine God, how much he's moved by our faith by our worship, by our praise, by our anticipation. And you know what? He's not just trying to win a football game. He's trying to do the miraculous in our life. He wants to heal some broken hearts. He wants to bind up those that are bruised. That's why he came to this planet when he walked on it, and that is what he wants to give us through his spirit. So when it came time to unveil the new temple, back to the Solomon's temple, there was a plan for the service. You guys know there was a tabernacle plan. They were going to They're going to sing the praises, and they're going to walk through, and they're going to go through the different steps that God himself mandated. He mandated steps for them to get into the presence of the Holy of Holies. He had a service schedule, and they had practiced it in the wilderness with the tabernacle for all of these years. And when the temple was opening, that was supposed to be the way that it was going to happen. However, as soon as the worshipers got started, we see that God altered the plan of that entire service just so he could commune with his people. And it's interesting because 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17, this verse 17 tells us that the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So just like humanity can elevate their game, so to speak, when cheering and anticipation are presented, God is moved by the expectation of our worship. And I can tell you, I can show you, if you'll jump with me really quick to John chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. This is Jesus early on in his ministry. It says the next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out. We know the story. How are you going to let the wine supply run out at the the wedding, right? During the festivity, so Jesus' mother told him they have no more wine. So you guys see the problem? The wine's out. (laughs) Jesus' mother There's no more wine. This is one of my favorite verses because Jesus says, Dear woman, that's not our problem. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Which is interesting because Jesus is quick to point out, this is not my problem, right? They should have planned better. They should have had this figure. He's literally like, yeah, why are you telling me this right now? This is literally not my problem. And on top of that, I have a plan and my plan does not involve anything right now. I mean, that's, that's literally what the words of Jesus say. However, Mary, it, it just says that Mary told the servants, do whatever he tells you. But you know what? There's a lot in that statement. Because she had the faith and the confidence in who he was. See, she had already heard the promise way back when she was pregnant with him. That he was going to be called Emmanuel, God with us. She knew who he was. And she was like, you know what? I know that he can handle this situation. So even though he's telling me it's not his problem, and even though he's telling me not right now, I'm still going to act with confidence and worship him in this moment. And if he does tell you to do something, do it. And then we know that from there, Jesus goes on, and, and he can't help himself. 
right? Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip out some and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, he called the bridegroom over. Jesus' first miracle literally was not in his plans and happened because somebody was willing to believe in him in that moment. Which tells us something, that when we come into a service like this, you know what? The plans for our lives may not be great, and they may not be easy to understand. And we may be in a situation that we have literally literally put ourselves in. It's not Jesus' fault, and it's not his problem. But you know what? When we start to worship him with faith and anticipation, and we're like, hey, I know who you are, and I know that you can move in this situation. Hey, financial problems can just all of a sudden go away. Financial problems can leave. Mental stress can just melt away. Chains can be broken. And that's not just words. This is literally the nature of Jesus. He, he's here and he has a plan. But if you're willing to worship him and you're willing to praise him and I'm willing to praise him and we're willing to get up together and say, you know what? You are capable of doing more than I can even think of. He is willing to be like, all right, hold up. I'm here. Let's see what we can do with this situation. And we see it time, and we see it time again. One more example is found in the, in the book of Luke, chapter 8, verse 43. It says, and a woman having an issue of blood 12 years, which had spent all of her living upon physicians. Look at that. Medical bills have always been expensive. <laughs> she couldn't be healed by any of them. Came behind him and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her issue of blood stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude thronged thee and pressed thee, and sayest thou who touched me? And Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I felt virtue go out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him, and how she was healed immediately. And he said unto her, Daughter, go thy way, be of good comfort, thy faith hath made thee whole. This is awesome because another example of Jesus' attention not being on somebody's problem. And, you know, I think sometimes we think that God puts us in situations. And it's not that God is unaware, but he wants to see how we're going to respond in the situations that, honestly, we most of the time put ourselves in. And when this lady was like, you know what, I have just got to get a hold of him. We know the story. She fought. She touched the hem of his garment. But you know what, Jesus, when that happened stopped and says your faith your faith is what made you whole you know what guys it takes faith to worship god it takes um, we can stand the musicians can come we're wrapping up it takes faith to come into a service like this sunday in sunday out wednesday in wednesday out it takes faith to believe hey god's gonna meet me here but if he doesn't hey we'll try it again next week right that takes a lot of faith and i think sometimes we think hey god doesn't hear us or maybe god doesn't care about our situation but the reality is He knows every prayer that we've prayed. He's seen every situation that we've been in. He's never left us comfortless. And when we're willing to take all of that and put it aside, you know what? I mean, he might just be waiting for us to worship him in the middle of what we're going through. That might be what he's waiting for. He's like, man, I see you there, but you you haven't given it to me truly in faith. You haven't really stepped out and said, regardless of what happens, yet will I praise you. 
And you know what? Today we have a great challenge. And that challenge is this. Regardless of where we're at, regardless of what we've been through, our worship has to be strong. Because that's when the miraculous happens. The miraculous happens when God steps down and says, hey, let's just see how this goes. So we're getting ready to jump back into the, into the worship service. I wonder if we can close our eyes, lift our hands all around this sanctuary. And just for a few moments, God, no matter what happens, no matter where this life takes us, God, we worship you. We praise you. We give you glory because we know that there's nothing you cannot do. There's nothing you cannot accomplish.
Chad was speaking this morning, I was reminded of something that I'd read recently. And it was a story about a young man who came rushing into camp meeting late. You might not know what camp meeting is, but camp meeting is just a time when lots of churches get together and they all come to worship God. And so there's thousands of people there. And the man comes running in late and he slides down next to this elder and he says, whew, I made it in time for the important part because the preacher was just getting up to speak. And the elder looked at him and he said, important to who? Because the word may be important to you, but our worship is important to God. Well, we might need that word. He is the word. And our worship is what matters to him. It's what is important to him. And so I love this series that we're doing on worship because it is so important to remember that our worship is not about us receiving something, but it's about us offering something to the one who inhabits the praises of his people.
this time, I'm going to invite you, if you have a need that you need that way maker to step into, whatever it might be in your life, if you have something that you say, and maybe it's impossible with man, but I know that all things are impossible with God. If you'll take a step of faith and you'll come to the front, we will pray with you and we will believe that our God is able to do a miracle in your life and in your situation, whatever it might be that you're facing, because he truly is able. Thank you, Lord. I call him Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, Light in the Darkness. That is who you are. Oh, Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, Light in the
the gifts of faith came into this room and I believe there were people who began to see some things that were not as though they were in your life. And so we're gonna sing that again and as we do, I want you to speak to your circumstance. Speak the opposite of what you feel. Whatever it is that you know that God is able to do, I want you to speak that over whatever situation is in your life. Because I know that my God is able. I know that my God is a healer. I know that my God is doing miraculous things. I know that my God is doing something new that he has never been done before. And so let's begin to speak in faith over every circumstance and over every problem and over everything that stands before us. Oh, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're
Thank you, Lord. Why don't we just raise our hands in the air just one more time here. Jesus, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. God, we thank you for your power. We thank you for healing. We thank you for deliverance. We thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Lord, your mercy and grace, Jesus, that are new every single day that we can, Lord, just come into your presence, God. We're thankful to you for who you are, Lord. Father, we offer you our praise and worship on this morning, Jesus. Oh, we love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. praise your name, oh God. Lord, we praise your name, Jesus. Hallelujah. Yeah. 
talking around here about waiting on the Lord and allowing God to do what He desires and longs to accomplish. And so that's not just at an altar call before we leave. That's right in the middle of a service. And the Lord, if you just feel like God just wants to do something or He's trying to accomplish something, it, it would just it would just be foolish for us to say, "Okay, we'll move. We gotta go. Let's go. Move on. Let's go to the next thing." I, Sometimes you just have to pause and just let God wrap his arms around someone and fill someone with his spirit and touch a heart, mind, or life. It's at times like that, even if you don't feel anything, if you're sitting or standing there going, eh, just not feeling what that person's feeling, it's all right. You can still just pause and say, God, in spite of anything I feel right now, you are worthy of my praise. You are worthy of my worship, Lord. God, and even if I don't necessarily feel something, I want to pray with someone who does. I want to lay my hand on someone's shoulder who is really feeling your presence and power right now. And so... We're never so much in a rush that we cannot pause and allow God to just receive praise and worship. Amen. Praise God. What a sweet presence of God that's in the sanctuary today. Prayerfully, if you're watching online, you can feel what we feel. It's not always the same, but hopefully you can still feel it. God's presence is everywhere, but there's something about getting together in a facility with people feeling what we're feeling right now. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, if you are able to, you can be seated this morning. And uh, while you're being seated, we'll invite our ushers to come. It's another form of worship. Worship. 